So what I linked today is a really cool tool. I always kind of go geeky over data visualization tools, and this one's interactive. So I encourage everyone listening to go into the episode description, follow the link for the central bank digital currency tracker. What it does is exactly what it says. It's a map, interactable, and it does a great job of giving you a lay of, the lay of the land for how different central banks around the world are developing their own digital currencies. And you can look at a number of different ways. There's the development stage between inactive in research or development mode to pilot and actually fully launched. A few countries have launched. Uh, you can filter there. There's a number of different ways to filter it, but I kind of want to get to some of the high level takeaways that I took from this. And the first one is, is that uh, there's a very diverse, there's a lot of diversity among the status. There's like uh, 87 countries, I think, that are in the process of developing their own digital currencies. And like I said, nine have launched. There's 14 in the pilot program, 16 in development. Oh, the vast majority, 40 countries, are still in research mode. Uh, just looking at possibly developing this, and including the United States. Uh, but there, there's even a lot of stuff that is still undecided because for a lot of these countries, it's still such an early stage. Uh, so there's a lot of countries in a lot of different uh, stages and a lot of countries taking different routes as far as their architecture, their infrastructure, like distributed ledgers versus a conventional centralized ledger, different ways to access their hypothetical future currency. And it's, it's obviously, this is, this is something that countries have been looking at for a while, but it seems like this was accelerated tremendously with the onset of COVID because countries realized not only were they competing with these private digital currencies like Bitcoin, but I think they realized through COVID that it was very difficult, that there's a better way to program and deliver their, their policies, their monetary and fiscal policies. And so I think COVID was a bit of a kick in the ass for these uh, countries. So uh, did you have any big takeaways from this, Dylan? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I noticed in some of the research that accompanied this, the notion of stimulus and the need to distribute unprecedented monetary and fiscal stimulus was really that catalyst to have these countries look at this more closely. So before COVID, this was just a thought exercise for these countries. And then once they had the need to <laughs> deliver a ton of money to everybody, they realized, oh yeah, SWIFT system, ACH kind of sucks. So with this, with the central bank digital currency, you could program rules associated with stimulus. And while at first glance, that's kind of puke worthy, I think it's actually really smart because we're already in a pretty perverted world where you're handing out all the money to people. So, I mean, the whole philosophy around free markets and allowing li the libertarian ideal of people using their money, voting with their dollars is already kind of messed up. It's already perverted. So I actually think that next leap of putting rules on stimulus money is an improvement because here's why. If you're going to be handing out money 
to help stimulate the economy and help people, then I think a rail guard to prevent people from putting that in a brokerage account makes sense. Or perhaps the, the dollars expire after six months of not having been spent. Because the money is being, is, the idea is, oh, if you can't make your rent payment, if you can't buy food because you're out of work, because of the pandemic, then you should be spending that on the, the basic staples. I mean, that's the spirit of the stimulus. The spirit of the stimulus is not go gamble on options. If we're going to have this as part of our society moving forward, a lot of stimulus checks and things, then I think having these rules in place just makes sense. So that's, that's kind of where I see this going, at least. Um, what do you think, Jake? Yeah, uh, I've had that conversation before, and I, I, I'm conflicted. I, I don't have a, a clear in favor or not in favor. I think there's a m- number of different ways you could insert programmability into a, a country's monetary fiscal policy, but I'll kind of leave that for a second. What caught my eye was a very quick note in the companion explainer to this, uh, to this graphic, and, and it mentioned just how many different ways like there's not a lot of coordination here apart from like the eu which we're seeing some coordination a lot of these countries are developing their own digital currencies on their own timeline their own track so i have some concerns about possible interoperability issues and it's i'm not technically savvy enough to uh, outline what those could look like but i imagine 87 different countries developing their currency along 87 different permutations of um, characteristics with maybe 87 different types of technology. That That's a concern right off the bat, just, just how interoperability, which has been r- really a core tenant of a lot of these private digital currencies, uh, would hate to see these public currencies just kind of get that wrong. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. And I think that this is kind of a good segue into into the next topic. There was a country spotlight on the tracker showing the United Arab Emirates, China, Hong Kong, and Thailand joining in a cross-country CBDC test. So I think we'll see these geopolitical blocks start to flourish where there will be interoperability and different rules associated with different countries and, and how they'll they'll cooperate together. But this notion they, they ended one of their press releases, the people that created this tracker, with their research on how sanctions have been the shifting, the use of sanctions in geopolitics. And I think that's really interesting because if you have these other currencies, you'd be able to potentially circumvent sanctions. So this kind of gets me into this next topic of El Salvador. There was this article on Decrypt that gave a really good kind of year in review on El Salvador's controversial Bitcoin year, where they've obviously, we all know, accepted Bitcoin as legal tender. And there's a ton of controversy around this. So this, this article didn't have a lot of new information, but it, it got me thinking. And so the, the real quick, quick and dirty summary of the article is 
just going from how their their main guy announced at the Miami Bitcoin conference earlier this year that they were going to accept Bitcoin as legal tender. Anybody would have the option of using Bitcoin in the country of El Salvador. This article comes at them a little bit saying it hasn't been optional. People are being forced to use it. And I don't know, I haven't done my research on this. I don't know what is true here and what is potentially not true, but I would really love, I think the, the point here is if you're going to be doing anything with cryptocurrencies as a country, I think you have to prioritize transparency. You have to set up a dashboard like this CBDC tracker, but obvious, of course, within your own country's parameters and, and having links to wallets so people can go and actually see what you're doing. I think that's really important. If you're going to be doing any kind of transition to these systems, you've got to be transparent and open about it so that people actually know what's going on. What do you think, Jake? Oh, 100%. I've, this to me is not a technology story. It's a political story. Uh, and, and all your points, I'm with you on that. Uh, transparency is key. Some of the big things that stick out, first and foremost, this was very unpopular. I did some, I followed a couple links, did some other, looked at some other stuff. Only 70, 77% of uh, El Salvadorian citizens are against this law. 61% of merchants don't want to accept Bitcoin. And over 80% of people who receive remittances from people abroad, which is very important in this country. A lot of people rely on remittances, payments received from people they know or, or are related to uh, residing in foreign countries. And those people who rely on those remittances, over 80% of them still want dollars and only about 5% are okay with Bitcoin. So you have a deeply unpopular law. And to your point, that doesn't necessarily mean right off the bat that you shouldn't do something unpopular. But if you're going to, to practice effective governance, you need to be open and honest and right now, uh, two main issues there are one, it's become a just do what I say, it's good for you. If you don't understand it too bad kind of line from the president, Bukel, I think. And also, it, it seems pretty open and honest uh, from his perspective that he owns over a thousand Bitcoin. So there you have some pretty blatant um, <laughs> uh, cronyism, some corruption right there, where of course he'd like to see wider spread adoption and. Uh, appreciation of Bitcoin. And, and also this guy has, this president has a long history of trending towards authoritarianism. So um, yeah, yeah, some, some major concerns. And and I guess to your point, I'm, I wonder if even uh, these vendors are even set up across the board to accept Bitcoin. Like, I don't even know if the infrastructure is there. Yeah, I, there's been some interesting stuff on this throughout the year that I want to comment on. There, the, the pro Bitcoin in El Salvador material that I've seen is actually quite convincing because if you're someone living in near destitution and you have to travel a, an hour or two by bus to go cash a check or something, I mean, yeah, this is way more convenient if you could just have a digital wallet on your phone and then you could just go to your pay your bills around your, your immediate area. There was an example, there was a video of highlighting a gentleman in the country who had to spend a ton of time out of his days and months to go pay bills 
and do a bunch of this stuff, which I think a lot of us don't realize is a problem with financial literacy in general in, in the US, but in countries like El Salvador, where it's it's just different the, the, the way it's all set up. So there is a lot of value in having digital currency and such, but we're, we're almost at time here. So I wanna comment on this transparency issue. There is no, according to this article, the only knowledge we have is what Bukel has tweeted in terms of when he's bought BTC. So we have no idea really what's going on, who controls the keys to their wallets, what what are the wallets, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is posted somewhere, but I, I haven't dug in on it. So we really need better transparency and there's so much room for abuse and money laundering and all this different stuff. I don't wanna to go too crazy on that side of things, but those concerns are valid. So without transparency, you're gonna have rumors flying around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's one thing to talk about transparency in a private market, um, some of these fringe cryptocurrencies, some, some of the cutting edge, but when you're exhibiting your power as a government, yeah, yeah, transparency is not optional. I'm with you. Yeah. Exactly. Well, hey, this has been great. I think we'll probably be on tomorrow, if not us, someone else from the team. Yep. So we'll see you then, man. Sounds good. See you, bud.